Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the 10th episode of the Over the Line Sports Layup Line. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Nolan Russell. Nolan, how goes it? It goes very well. Thank you for asking, sir. (laughs) Always. Always got to keep you in the loop. To say we had a very shocking second round of the NBA playoffs, I think, is kind of uh, an understatement. There were a lot of outcomes that we didn't quite see coming and a lot of storylines that ended up playing out that I did not expect. But we're going to start in the Western Conference with probably, I want to say, the most improbable result going in, at least in my mind, which is the Phoenix Suns sweeping the Denver Nuggets. I... (laughs) <laughs> I don't really know what happened. Going in, I was so high on the Nuggets, especially riding off their first round win against the Blazers. I was kind of taken aback to see how handily they got beat. Getting beat by 25 in game two, especially, was a bit of a shocker for me. But I think the real caveat of it all was seeing Jokic, in my mind, a bit unjustifiably kicked out early in game four, the eventual clincher for the Suns. I'll swing it over to you, though. What takeaways do you have from that series? Because that one was definitely a stunner. Yeah, I agree with you about the the yoga dejection. Like, come on, NBA, get it together. This is starting to get ridiculous. It's getting soft. It's really soft. That was never an ejection, especially not in a playoff game. I like ah, it's it's crazy to me. There have I been harder fouls it. that weren't disciplined like that. Uh, that's that's at best a flagrant one. That's, yeah, it's not an ejection. But anyways, uh, aside from that. The main takeaway is Phoenix is really good. I was high on Phoenix, a little higher than you seem to be. I I did pick them over the Nuggets, but I thought the series would be a little bit closer. I was concerned about how the Suns would handle Jokic if like Aiden were to get in foul trouble, but Aiden really held his own against him, didn't foul too much, played a lot of minutes, and he just kind of slowed him down a little bit. Obviously, Jokic is still Jokic. He's going to do Jokic things, and he's going to play really well, but if you can slow him down to a certain extent, with Denver just kind of lacking really any clear secondary options aside from Michael Porter Jr. You're going to get success when your team as good as Phoenix is offensively. So really, really great series from them. I think they're probably the front runner to win the West right now, especially with Kawhi being out for the Clippers. It's unfortunate. Chris Paul is, I don't know exactly when he's expected to come back at this point. It's kind of, it seems a little bit up in the air, but he's definitely missing at least a couple games, but even without him, especially with no Kawhi on the Clippers, I, I really like their chances, but don't want to get too far ahead of myself here. I'm going to share the same take as you here. I definitely would favor the Suns right now over the Clippers. I mean, a lot to do with Kawhi being out with what is yet to be determined, but more likely an ACL tear. But I think this Sun series for me really just solidified the impact of Chris Paul and how much they're going to miss him in these early games in the series. Him and Devin Booker were unbelievable, especially in the latter half of the series. They both, uh, I think they had 36 and 37 or 37 and 38 in game four to clinch it. And then they both had 27, 28 in uh, game three. But they played unbelievable down the stretch, just seeing how much they were enjoying themselves out there when they were kind of in rhythm. And that's kind of a team that if they get hot, it's pretty hard to slow them down, especially with their elite second unit coming in a lot of the times and kind of bolstering leads. But I'm going to be really interested to see what happens through the remainder of this series because the Suns did win game one as at the time of recording this and game two plays tonight. I think the Suns are legit and I didn't want to say that I kind of pushed them aside in favor of the Nuggets in this series. I did attempt to put as much respect on their name as I could but I thought the Jokic effect was going to be a lot a lot bigger and I think especially in a series like this that wasn't that close I feel like the impact of a guy like Jamal Murray would have gone a long way in that series Um, unfortunately we didn't uh, get to see that pan out but all credit to the Suns for taking advantage and really just put a nail in a coffin of a team that I thought was a legitimate contender to kind of go all the way so I think all the heat right now in terms of being a hot team going in is with the Suns and I'm going to be really excited to see how this series plays out and I guess we'll flip over to the other side of that uh, we have the Jazz Clippers uh, with the Clippers taking the series in six Terrence um, Mann Terrence Mann proved to be the man had a few very solid games I picked the Jazz in the series I thought they were a stronger team going in Donovan Mitchell really did all he could. Rudy Gobert played fairly well for the most part, but I will say a little little caveat. I don't think I've seen as an elite defensive player as Rudy Gobert be exposed so many times on the floor as he has been over the playoffs. And I may be speaking in kind of a brief context, like to the last few seasons at least, but I don't know. It just seemed like even when people were being guarded by Gobert, like they were kind of just taking it in on him like they weren't even afraid of him. I've never really seen that, <laughs> seen that before in terms of such a great defensive uh, press being almost nitpicked and taken advantage of on the floor. But yeah, that series was a bit shocking for me. I thought the Jazz were really going to take that. I guess I'll swing it over to you. The Clippers lack a lot of size inside. So they just, uh, they were going to commit to the small ball style of basketball and try to exploit those kind of mismatches. It obviously leaves them a little bit vulnerable inside, but Gobert's not the greatest scorer in the post anyways. 
So they just committed full on to going small ball. A lot of versatile defenders, a lot of shooting, a lot of space, and it proved to be the key to success to limiting uh, Gobert's impact defensively. They would set a lot of screens and just pull up from the mid-range or kick it out to shooters and just kind of try to exploit Gobert's limitations on the perimeter, and it, it worked out for them uh, really well. I thought Utah was going to take it after Kawhi got injured, but a lot of credit goes to Paul George and, of course, Terrence Mann, <laughs> Reggie Jackson as well. I thought he was he was huge for them in the series, kind of an underrated opponent to that team. But, yeah, the Clippers deserved this win. I think Utah disappointed me in the way that I, I was not shocked that they would. Like, I kind of I had my concerns about them just based on previous playoff collapses and that's why I picked the Clippers in this series but I really thought they were going to take it out once Kawhi went down but credit to the Clippers uh they just stuck with it and played their style of basketball Terrence Mann <laughs> delivered a huge game six performance to push them through yeah that was that was a really entertaining game six to watch it I mean the whole bench was into it while he was getting hot it, it is really entertaining when you see a guy like that who doesn't usually um well, I mean, that's kind of what playoff basketball does. It kind of builds up the brands of guys you didn't really know of. And I mean, we've seen it in the past with uh, with other guys who kind of make a run in the postseason and kind of end up getting paid in the offseason in their due diligence. But I was really happy with the result of that game as much as I wanted the Jazz to win. I mean, it's always good to see a guy succeed when he's not really... I don't want to say cut out to succeed, but a guy that most people wouldn't expect to. I will say a quick tease and piece to Donovan Mitchell. He was visibly upset after that loss, as I would be almost dropping a 40-point triple-double in a loss. But where do you think the Jazz go from here? Because I really don't think that they're that far away from being a legitimate Western Conference contender. I think they really just need to get over the hump. And honestly, I, th- I thought this series was going to be it, to be honest, especially as you said with Kawhi going down. I thought this was kind of the path they would have wanted to be carved out for him going in. But do you think there are a few role players away? Do you think they're a third star away? Like, what, what do you think the next move is for them going forward? It's hard to say, really, because with the the roster they have constructed, this is about as good as you can get without just sort of rebuilding and and trying something new altogether. So it's hard to really say. Um, I think the only thing they could really do is just look for small upgrades because they they have plenty of depth. They have lots of star players, but, you know, maybe I don't I don't even know. But like I really like Mike Conley. But, for example, maybe they could find a slightly better version of a Mike Conley, like try to get their own Drew Holiday type player. But I don't know. There's not really that many uh, options on the board of that kind of player out there. So it's hard to say. Like they've got a good roster constructed. They just have to perform up to their ability. They should have won this series if they played their best. Yeah, I don't disagree. Again, looking at their roster that they've had, their strength throughout the entire regular season, I think kind of bolsters the the opinion, of course. But I mean, in terms of a top seven, top eight guys, you can't really argue that Ingles, Clarkson, Conley, Mitchell, Gobert, Bogdanovich, and Royce O'Neal really shouldn't be enough for them, to be honest. Yeah, I'll be interested to see what they do next year because I think this was the result that kind of stunned a lot of people like myself, especially with Kawhi going down. But I mean, all credit to the Clippers. They really did pull out a great series win in the face of defeat uh, with Kawhi going down. Shout out to Terrence Mann. Shout out to Paul George, who played pretty solid down the stretch. Um, I know he gets a lot of p- playoff P slander. I know he's probably looking to put that to bed with the uh, with the Sun series uh, imminent. But I'll be anxious to see whether or not he does put those claims to bed. And we'll speed over quickly to the East now. We'll talk about the Nets and Bucks before we go on to the Hawks and 76ers, because I, for one, was very excited when this went to seven. I will say a bit questionable shot choice by Durant. At the end of game seven, I understand going for the win and there's really no one else you'd put the ball in, in the hands of, but I think you could easily taken a mid range and forced a second overtime. But I, I, I know that's probably a pretty cold take considering the height of the situation. And as I said, putting the game in Durant's hands and letting him do what he wants. But I mean, all in all, very entertaining series. I think Giannis played extremely well. A bunch of their role players, again, like the Bucks just kind of played really well. PJ Tucker had a few good games. Chris Middleton showed up. Drew Holiday had a few really good games. And I think it just came down to the Nets really just not being able to put it all together. And I mean, they weren't really on the floor altogether for a lot of those games. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm a bit shocked, to be honest. I thought this was going to be the Nets series. Well, you know, when Kyrie Irving and James Harden are both hurt for good portions of the series, it's obviously going to have a negative impact. But it's hard to say that they necessarily would have won if those guys were healthy. I mean... Obviously, you look at the fact that it went to seven games and you could say, well, you add those guys healthy the whole series and that they probably win those those games. But it's hard to say for sure, because like a game five, for example, where both Kyrie and Harden are out and they still win because Kevin Durant just goes off. Some of their other guys play pretty well. I thought Bruce Brown had a few good games that series, but he kind of struggled a little bit in the last couple of games. 
Joe Harris was a huge disappointment. I don't know what happened to him. He just kind of went cold for the last like four games of that series. Yeah, he shot like 23%. If Harris plays like he normally does, they probably win that series. <sighs> I don't know. It's it's hard to really take away too much from, from the series when the Nets are not healthy. You know, it's, I don't know. I, I would like to see Brooklyn with their big three on the floor consistently because we haven't really seen that. And there's part of me that thinks it might be to a certain point, like kind of redundant having all three of them. Like, do they need all three of them on offense? Because you see, like, even with them out, Durant just goes off and their defense is better when, when Harden's not playing, for example. So I don't know. It's, it's hard to say that they necessarily would have won if they were all healthy because we just haven't really seen what they play like when they're all on the court consistently but I think they probably would have and that's definitely a big stain on them but I also want to give credit to Milwaukee the, their defense was outstanding in this series Chris Middleton was huge for them obviously Giannis was a monster Holiday had a couple off nights but for the most part was pretty key to them as well so I really like this Bucks team moving forward and I think they're probably the front runners to win it all at this point in my opinion yeah, I would say they're at least favored in the East right now, playing the Hawks. And um, I guess it's a pretty good segue into the Hawks besting the 76ers. To call it a choke job, I think is a bit of an understatement. This was a series that, honestly, out of the four series of the conference finals, I thought this one was going to be the biggest lock for me. I thought the 76ers were kind of poised to win this series and all credit to the Hawks for pulling it out. But golly, did the 76ers do a great job of blowing it. I don't want to put it all on the shoulders of Ben Simmons, although five points in a game seven really is probably the worst outlier you could possibly see on a stat sheet. Yeah, I really don't know what else to say. This this 76ers team was just, I don't want to say beyond disappointing because it does fall a lot on Ben, but golly that it sucks for it sucks to see them fall short with such a good team you want to talk outliers on a stat sheet how about 33 percent shooting from the free throw line from ben simmons yeah i wasn't even gonna bring that up i thought five points was bad enough the whole series he shot 33 percent from the free throw line they just yeah. they the hack of simmons like what the hell is that come on ben anybody yeah, remember that ben... me could have hit 50 percent, and i didn't even play basketball at that time <laughs> anybody remember that ben simmons clip from three years ago where he's playing cod saying hack of simmons won't be a thing yeah that didn't age very well that, Not... that's really that cost them at least one game probably three games in this series honestly I, I, would think, say, I would say at least one for sure. I think they win game four and five if Simmons hits a couple more free throws. And I don't they, really know. They, that series would have been over in five if Simmons wasn't terrible from the free throw line. Yeah. I don't really know where to start with the series because there is a lot to unpack. I think one big takeaway is Ben Simmons is going to be out of Philadelphia at some point this offseason. I, I don't see a future in which Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid coexist in the same roster again. He was just, he's a total non-factor. He's a hindrance offensively. He basically is a walking open man anywhere outside of six feet, creating a double team on anyone, anyone else who's going to serve as a primary scorer for the 76ers. He'll be better served in a different system on a different team with a fresh start. I don't know. I was just beyond disappointed. It's not even like his shot selection was bad. It was just, he didn't want to shoot. Every time he had the ball in a good area, he didn't want to shoot. He had wide open dunks in game seven. Didn't shoot. Just passed uh, it off. I The it, one was really, really bad. That was I mean, all, he had jumped in the air to go dunk and dumped it off to, uh, I think it was Thibel who was driving. Yeah, Thibel who had like two guys on him. I just... But like, and it, yeah, MB and again, of all guys to dump it off to, not not to diss Thibel, but Thibel is not an elite shooter by any means. Yeah, I mean, Embiid was not happy about it either. Like that play specifically, he called it out after the game. Who was asked by a reporter about, I can't remember exactly what the question was, but his response was, I'll be honest, I thought the turning point was when we... I don't know how to say it, is when we had an open shot and made one free throw. Yeah. That, that's a direct shot at Ben Simmons. <laughs> and I think they're done. Like, I don't know how you come back from this. Those two, they're not playing together again. I really don't think so. I think Simmons I is out of Philly. I don't think they are either. And the thing is, I would be less convinced if it was just the players. But even when Doc Rivers gets asked, do you think Ben Simmons can be a point guard on a championship team? And he says at this point, I don't know. Or no, what do you say? I, at this point, I don't have an answer for you. I think that's pretty indicative of what's going to happen this offseason. And Ben Simmons shouldn't be playing point guard, though. No, he shouldn't be. I, I've been saying for at least the majority of the season, if not longer, that I think Ben, ben Simmons is better served as being a true forward or being a point forward. I, I don't think he should be on the ball because we were having this discussion before we started recording. But I think the primary ball handler or the point guard of your team should be able to create for himself pretty much anywhere on the floor. And the fact that Simmons is restricted to scoring really primarily uh, within six feet on smaller players 
That's not a, that's not a big enough skill set to be able to facilitate and serve yourself at the same time. So no one's going to, no one's going to be committing on your shot. They're just going to be playing the passes. So like at that point, you're hindering the flow of your offense. You're hindering the potential of the other guys on the floor. And if I'm indeed, I wouldn't want to play with him again. I'd say if Simmons isn't leaving, then I'm leaving. Ben Simmons is a power forward masquerading as a point guard for some reason. He's a power forward with good passing. We've seen it work plenty of times with guys like Forrest Diaw, Draymond Green, Blake Griffin. Use them as a secondary playmaker. Have them set screens and feed players out of the, the short roll, like hit shooters out of the, the pick and roll when they create mismatches. That's fine. But why the hell is he creating the shots for himself when he, he can't shoot and the defense is just going to back off on him and protect the paint, double team other guys? You can't you can't use a player like that as a point guard. He'd be perfectly serviceable in a Draymond Green type role. But the Sixers just don't they don't have a, a legitimate shot creator. If Shake no. Milton is your best option and arguably Tyrese Maxey, who for some reason they just decide not to play ever. It's hilarious. He's fantastic every time they put him on the court, but whatever, they they just don't decide to play him for whatever reason. Regardless, though, like Simmons just isn't a good fit in Philly. I think that's been pretty clear for a few years now. They've done the best job they could. Trust the process. With a, with a better roster this year, with guys like Seth Curry and Danny Green coming in, it definitely was the best fit they've had for him yet, but it's still not a good fit. They need someone to run the point properly and have Ben Simmons as a secondary playmaker. That is his role, and that's the role he should be playing, and he'd be better served in it. He's obviously a phenomenal defender, but right now in that role, he's an absolute massive liability on offense, and there's definitely a scenario where he can be at least playable on offense in the right role. And they're just not using him in that role. No, I don't disagree with anything you just said. I think, as you said, in the right role, and I agree the secondary playmaker and really the analogy of playing off the short pick and roll and being able to kick and kind of pick your poison in terms of kicking or playing like short push shots. I think that's definitely going to be Simmons game going forward or should be. And I guess what we were talking about is kind of setting him to other teams. And I guess that's a good segue into what we were going to talk about was potential trade destinations and packages for Ben Simmons. So you happen to cook up a few just before we started recording. So if you wanted to go over those real quick, we can, and then we could speculate a few more. Yep. This was really short notice, just kind of threw them together. So these are kind of early stages of, of development just off the top of my head. But the first one that came to mind to me was, OKC, who just got Kemba Walker. They'd have to wait a little bit. I think they have to wait like 19 days before they can retrade Kemba Walker, but uh, that's fine. You know, wait 19 days. The trade I threw together was Kemba Walker in a 2022 first round pick via the Phoenix Suns. So it should be a late first round pick, essentially, in exchange for Ben Simmons. And I think Simmons and OKC is an interesting fit. I don't know how interested they are in putting that together, but I think for the value that they're getting him here, it's good value. And Kemba Walker on the Sixers, yeah, Walker has a bad contract. He's injury prone. He's declining, but he's a much better fit for their team. And I think if he can stay healthy, he's a really good second or third option to fit alongside guys like Tobias Harris and Joel Embiid, especially with Seth Curry starting to come into zone now too. I think that offense becomes really dangerous and they're obviously still going to be a great defensive team, even though Walker definitely has his limitations on that end. But I think for Walker in a first round pick, this is a pretty good value both ways. And I think if the Sixers are set on trading Simmons, but I think they probably will be. If there's no better option on the table, I think this is a pretty good fallback option for them. I think that move shakes out pretty interesting. I think for both sides, as you said, I think for me more so the more interesting side of it has to be OKC. I think with SGA coming back healthy, and getting a guy like Simmons, who, if he plays that kind of role, I think would be extremely effective. And I mean, he's still got a lot of other good young players there. I think him him and SGA in more of a offset pick and roll type scenario, or even playing Simmons, is, as you said, kind of screening off ball and either slashing or kind of filling space on the opposite end of the floor, I think will be nice for SGA going forward. I think it'll kind of help both of their developments. And on the flip side, as you said, the 76ers kind of get a true point guard who will be able to facilitate and score on his own. And as you said, kind of be able to take a guy like Seth Curry and even Maxi under his wing and be able to kind of coach him up a little bit. Because Kemba Walker's done his time in the league. He's been he's been a solid, well, arguably veteran superstar for a long time. I think that 76ers team, I think, immediately gets better in terms of the fit with Kemba Walker. The package itself, as you said, is pretty decent value considering it's going to be a late round, not an early round. But yeah, I don't, I don't mind that move at all. I, I do think, though, the one that you were talking about with Portland earlier, I think is a lot more interesting to me, the one for us. CJ McCollum. Yeah, we'll get to that quickly. I kind of want to talk about the the Simmons fit in OKC because I think it could be really interesting experimenting with using him as a small ball center. 
we obviously know OKC at this point is kind of just rebuilding and they're trying a lot of different things anyways. So why not try him as a small ball center? He's 6'11", 240 pounds. He's definitely capable of playing that kind of role like we've seen Draymond Green do. And obviously Simmons is bigger than him. And the idea of having this sort of small ball, tall ball hybrid kind of, of having, you know, taller guards like SGA, Pokushevsky, and then have smaller big men like Baisley and Simmons. That just provides you with unbelievable versatility where you can switch pretty much anything. And I think an SGA, Dort, Pokushevsky, Baisley, Simmons, five, like that that lineup. That sounds scary. That would be really interesting to see, I think, especially defensively. I mean, obviously Poku's terrible defensively right now, but I think the potential there is is very interesting as a seven-footer with with his kind of wingspan and his, his speed. If you can add a little bit more strength and just get smarter on that end, I think it could be a really interesting defensive system that they could operate with two to three years down the line. Simmons is obviously still young. He fits their kind of timeline right now. So it's a weird trade. I don't know how interested OKC is in making that kind of deal, but I think it's a pretty good value for them. So why not? You know, if you can get Simmons for... Kemba Walker, who they don't need, and a first-round pick, which they have like 30 of anyways. Why not? Yeah. I mean, as you said, it's very... I don't want to say it's very low risk, but considering how young Simmons is and it really, it would be very experimental um, going forward with him and that kind of lineup you were talking about. I, I really don't see a reason that they wouldn't be able to bite on that. I do want to talk about Poku real quick because you talked about him being a tad undersized. I would kind of equate his development in terms of how young he is to, to a guy like Chris Boucher. I think has made great strides in his career, but he kind of still needs to put on that pro 20. He just needs to add that little bit of muscle and not get moved around as much down low. Because I think, especially a guy like Poku with as much potential as he has, I think if he puts on that 10 to 20, even even maybe more, even if he ends up putting that on, if he puts on a good amount of muscle, a good amount of size, I think he'll not only be able to stand up in the league for a long time, but I think it'll it'll only benefit his game going forward, be able to drop the shoulder a little bit more, be able to kind of create a shot a little bit more with some versatility and leverage. And I think that, that lineup that you were talking about, being able to kind of switch everything, that kind of versatility on offense and defense is very sought after. I mean, you want, especially guys on offense in today's league with how shooting and perimeter dominant it is to be for really everyone on the floor to be able to shoot the ball. I, I would argue it's the same on defense, everyone to be able to guard mul- multiple positions, be able to switch and not really get any mismatches exposed or at least limit them so i think that thunder lineup is really intriguing to me i i really don't i don't mind that trade at all for it being kind of a throw together project a type trade yeah i mean that lineup really has four shooters with simmons as a as a screener basically you got plenty of guys that can pass the ball too so kind of remind me of like that that 2014 spurs team that just had pretty much everyone on their roster could pass the ball they played very team oriented style of basketball i think a few years down the line they build up some chemistry I think that could be a pretty scary lineup, honestly, uh, if it all works well. So I think this is a good trade for OKC. Whether or not they'd be willing to make it, I don't know. But it's something that I I would make if I was Sam Presti. I think if this option is on the table, why not take it? Yeah. Do you want to quickly talk about your Blazers trade, and then we can we can move yep. on, or if we have any more, we can do the the Blazers one. I also got T Wolves one if you want. Oh yeah, sure. So let's start with the Blazers one. I did Seth Curry and Ben Simmons to the Blazers for CJ McCollum, Anthony Simons, and CJ Ellaby to the 76ers. Ellaby is mostly there just to help balance out the cap a little bit, but he was a rookie this year. He has okay potential as a role player potentially. And I like Simons a lot as a potential backup guard, young guard. Um, and then obviously CJ McCollum is, I think, a fantastic fit for that 76ers roster. So I like this from their perspective. And then for the Blazers. You get Seth Curry, who can come in, shoot a lot, should be a good fit for that team. And then Simmons, you can kind of use him as a small forward or power forward. And then him and Covington together would really help amplify that defense, which has been pretty terrible for the last few years. So I think it's a potentially good fit for them. Their offense is already incredible. So even if Simmons isn't necessarily the best fit on offense, their offense should still be pretty good, especially with the addition of Seth Curry. And then it should help their defense quite a bit. So I like this from their perspective. I think this is a pretty fair trade both ways. Yeah, I think it is too. And again, you want to talk about starting fives. I think that new look trailblazer starting five is very intriguing to me. Um, Lillard, Curry, you have Covington, Simmons, and you have hopefully a fully healthy Nurkic. And that's the Norman Powell too. Oh, yeah, Nor- yeah, Norman Powell as well. I mean, that team is a lot of depth if they make that trade. I mean, they do regardless, but especially making that trade with how many young guys they have in their roster still, that's an unbelievable roster. Yeah, and again, it's a situation where you've got Dame, Seth Curry, and Robert Covington surrounding Simmons. So plenty of shooting. Even Nurkic is kind of capable as a shooter. 
it should be able to kind of maximize its value. And I think you could really use him in that sort of Draymond Green type role where you've seen Draymond is at his best when he's paired with Steph Curry and vice versa, really. Curry plays so much better when Draymond's on the court because he just knows how to set screens for him and, and find him open look. And I think you could kind of do the same thing with a Dame-Simmons combo once they once they get that chemistry up. So I, I kind of like it for them. Yeah, I like that move a lot. I really do. All right, let's get into the, the T-Wolves one, which I think is really interesting trade for them because they're another team that sucks on defense. So getting a all-defensive caliber player like Ben Simmons could definitely help. This was a little bit harder to to pull off in a way that I felt both sides would be comfortable making. I think this one largely depends on what else is on the market for Simmons if the the Sixers are indeed dead set on trading him, which I think they probably will be. But in order to make this work, you got to have Ricky Rubio and Malik Beasley. Definitely two really solid players that would fit nicely with the Sixers. And from a cap perspective, it's kind of the only way to really make this work. Those two combined basically have the exact same salary hit as Simmons. I think from a cap perspective, it makes a lot of sense for both teams. I probably would throw in maybe like a 2023 first round pick or maybe a second round pick this year or something just to sweeten the deal a little bit for the Sixers. But I think Malik Beasley is a really underrated player that... That could fit nicely on that team and and rubio is also a, a pretty good fit as someone that can kind of fill that ben simmons role but give you a little bit more shooting and a little bit more uh, shot creation potential he's obviously not a fantastic shooter but he's at least capable of hitting them and isn't afraid to take some shots so i think this is a decent fit for both teams i like it to be honest i think a simmons delo towns is a really young trio that they could build around for the years to come. Yeah, I don't disagree. And I mean, you still have an up and coming ant too. I mean, that's that's a pretty deep roster. And even Jaden McDaniels is coming into his own as well. That's a that's a pretty good start. Plus, whoever five. they get this year in the draft. Yeah, exactly. Get get high pick pick. Again this year. Yeah, that that could that could prove to be a really good move. The thing is, is I don't know. And as you said, I think this would be more of a last resort kind of move. I don't really see this being kind of uh, an A1 package, so to speak, coming back for the 76ers. It'll honestly depend how desperate they are to get them out with how many buyers or how many suitors are willing to give up a good package for Simmons. And really, we don't even know what the package is going to be. Like, we don't know what his value is right now, given how much it's probably deteriorated uh, with his performance in the uh, in the conference semis. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm going to be really interested to see. I wouldn't be surprised if his value has slipped like significantly i feel like a few of these deals are kind of overplaying his potential and i mean he's ex- still extremely young but he's been i don't want to say he's been negligent to improve but almost every report i've heard or read about him like especially recently has been his negligence to kind of work on his game he's shown very little tenacity in terms of wanting to get better especially with how much potential he had and still has like i don't know how you wouldn't want to at least kind of want to expand your game like that's just kind of how it goes as you as you go through the motions of getting into the swing of the nba and getting familiar assuming your role knowing what you have to improve on i just i don't know how he doesn't prioritize getting a jump shot and that's especially in the modern nba that we're living in where everybody has to be able to shoot everyone has to be able to spread the rock and be able to score like especially a guy like simmons like i don't want to see him get left behind with how much potential he has and it's like that's what it's looking like right now so he kind of has to show some effort right now i think in terms of some other teams i could see possibly making a move i think the Nuggets come to mind, the Raptors, maybe the Wizards in like a Westbrook-Simmons swap, but I, I don't really think that's great for either team. Possibly the Charlotte Hornets, um, maybe the Bulls. I think there's there's definitely a few teams that could potentially be on the market for, for someone like Simmons, but I think the market is definitely soured on him quite a bit. So I would be not shocked at all if, if the Sixers are struggling to find a trade partner for him. So I think that T-Wolves trade package isn't all that unrealistic to be honest yeah no i think that's a pretty fair approximation of at least the basement in terms of his value as of right now from what we can kind of speculate and i guess we'll um we'll transition quickly because our people's choice nba awards results have been finalized and i figured you may want to take over and read those out we can kind of review them see where our people lie in terms of their choices yep should i just name top three then is that, is that yeah we could we do that do or... okay so for the mvp our top three was number three, Joel Embiid, number two, Steph Curry, and number one, Nikola Jokic. And Steph Curry beat Embiid by one point, 116 to 115. Uh, Jokic was 190, so pretty clear step up above the other two. Yeah, I think going in especially, I figured that was going to be the answer. At least I hope so. Um, I think Jokic just put together quite the campaign, and I mean, I've kind of – 
I don't want to say I've been on his personal bandwagon, but I've been very tuned into how Jokic has been playing all year. And I think it's very deserved that he gets that kind of praise. Same goes with Curry. I mean, he's rised up both of our lists, I think, um, especially in the latter half of the year. He had arguably one of the greatest months I've ever seen from an NBA athlete. Same goes with Joel Embiid. He's had a great campaign this year, really showed no dips throughout the year, been extremely consistent. I, I'm really not surprised by any of those, to be honest. And I, honestly, the order, I'm really not upset about either, especially considering how Curry, uh, Curry and Embiid were so close. Yeah. That that was definitely fun to monitor the the race back and forth between Curry and Embiid. It was it was neck and neck the whole way through. Curry literally just barely pulled out. I think he got like one extra like fifth place vote or something that that ended up swinging in the vote in his favor. But it was pretty much a dead even tie. So I think those were clearly the top three for me, and I I like the order that we got them in. Yeah, the only other one that that was close was Giannis and. Yeah, he ended up in fourth with like 95 points, so not far behind. I think the vote the voters got this one right, though. Yeah, I think they did, too. I think we did a good job. So for Defensive Player of the Year, our top three, again, we had a clear number one, and then second and third were basically tied. Well, second had a, had a little bit of the lead, but anyways, we had Giannis Antetokounmpo and Joel Embiid were tied for third. We had Ben Simmons at second, and then Rudy Gobert in first with a substantial lead i mean again no no real surprise to me i think gobert gobert was very deserving of the award i will say i was a bit surprised that simmons eclipsed Embiid. i thought Embiid kind of would have been the number two there or even Giannis. i wouldn't have been surprised over but i think i think simmons still deserves a podium in uh, in most respects but yeah i don't know the order the order i think could have been rearranged and i wouldn't have argued but i think those top four i think are pretty fair this was the one I was I would probably disagree with the most. <laughs> I think Embiid wouldn't have cracked my uh, Embiid was dead last on my list out of the guys we nominated. Him and Bam were my bottom two. I would have had Draymond in my top three. I would have had Miles Turner in my top three. I think I would have had Gobert one, Draymond two, Turner three, Simmons four, Ante Decumpo five. That would have been my my top five. But anyways, like def- defense is a hard thing to quantify, so I'm not not super disappointed with the results we got here. I think Gobert is probably the clear number one. I think his defense somewhat depreciates in value a little bit in the def- in the playoffs, but this is a regular season award, and in the regular season he was a monster on that end, so it's definitely the right call in my opinion. Uh, Simmons at two makes a lot of sense too. I had him a little bit lower. I think I had him four, but I, I don't hate him at at two. And Giannis, again, I had him at five, I think, but at three doesn't doesn't really bother me. That's fair. Yeah, as I said, I, I can't really nitpick the order. I, I think those guys are all pretty deserving of a spot. But, um, yeah, I think I think Giannis would probably be – I think, yeah, I don't know. Honestly, I think I think all four of them kind of where they're at are kind of fun. I think Embiid, as I said, kind of maybe early in the year deserved to be moved up, but um, I guess he didn't really – put up the kind of substantial stats to kind of let him hang with uh, Gobert and even, even Simmons had a great defensive uh, end of the season, but yeah, I don't, I don't mind those four there. All right. For Canadian player of the year, our top three again was kind of reasonably close. Yeah. This one was, this one was the closest so far. So we had Shea Gilgis Alexander at third, RJ Barrett at second and Jamal Murray in first. So SGA had 99 points. Murray had 117 or sorry, Barrett had 117 and Murray had 137. So fairly close, but yeah, Murray pulled away a little bit at the end. I like this top three though. I think this is this is correct. Yeah, I think that's correct too. The only other one really you could maybe argue would be Andrew Wiggins considering he played pretty much the entire season. But yeah, I don't mind that top three at all. I think SGA considering how much time he missed, I think is pretty fair at three. RJ had a great run during the season and played really well in the playoffs. So I can't really argue with that. And then I think Jamal Murray was my number one most of the year. I mean, I think for most people as well, um, even considering he got uh, injured near, near the uh, latter half of the year, but I really didn't think that that did much for me in terms of uh, giving him the top spot there. But yeah, I, we were talking about it a long time or not a long time ago, a few weeks ago, but I think this could be like one of the best uh, eras of Canadian basketball. I think we've had maybe ever. And I think there's a lot of potential in, uh, in the 10 that we had, how many did we have nominated? Was it nine or 10? We had 10, yeah. Yeah, so I think even there were there was more than just those 10 guys, but I think those those 10 guys in particular, I think, hold a lot of potential in today's league. And I mean, it's got to gotta be kind of encouraging to see Canadian basketball kind of having a really big potential going forward. And I think it's only growing more, I guess, relevant in, in Canada now, especially with the uh, 
with how hockey how hockey kind of dominates most uh most of our media and most of our attention growing up and even in our youth sports but i think basketball starting to make a surge and i think we're kind of starting to see that in the nba now yeah it's too bad our players don't represent us ever <laughs> yeah that's unfortunate did you see our roster for uh the world or for the olympic qualifiers well what they were like wasn't it three of the five that we were going to have well that were projected in our top 12 um or three sorry three of the five yeah we mm-hmm. only had three of the guys that were in our top 10 or sorry four of our guys in the top 10 but one yeah. of them was the guy that finished 10th not exactly the best roster we we could have hoped for Nikhil alexander walker rj barrett lugans dort andrew wiggins Corey joseph trey lyles Michael Mulder, those are kind of the standouts, and that's not not exactly the best guys you'd want as your standouts. Oh, and Dwight Powell, I forgot him, but it's not a terrible team. We have a we have a shot of qualifying, but I'm kind of disappointed that more guys didn't show up. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I'm a bit disappointed too, considering like how good the team could have been. I am a bit disappointed, but um, honestly, I can't really argue. Like we still have a pretty good roster for the most part. All right, moving on to rookie of the year now. Kind of a two-way race, somewhat somewhat more of a one-way race, but there was a second guy that was kind of close. Um, and then pretty clear number three as well. So our number three was Tyrese Halley Burden. Second was Anthony Edwards, and first was LaMelo Ball. Yep. And again, I think, I think the voters got it right once again. I agree. I think the voters got it right. I, um, I will say there was at least when the award was announced that it went to LaMelo, I saw – the primary comment was like, oh, Ant was robbed, Ant was robbed. And it was like, I I don't want to call the people who think it should have been Ant casuals, but I, I think even with the games missed, I think it was pretty clear that that was LaMelo's award. I agree. I think Ant had a really bad start to the season and he started picking up towards the end, but he's still putting up, he put up good numbers on pretty bad efficiency, bad defense, didn't win a lot of games. So... I, I was definitely happy with LaMelo winning in both ours and the, the real awards. I think that's the correct decision. I think he was the better rookie. Yeah, he missed some games, but it wasn't like he missed a ton of games. Yeah. I think it, I think it was the right call. Um, and I'm glad I'm glad he won in our vote as well. But if you want, we can move on to coach of the year, which yeah, we was do. the closest. Nice. We actually pretty much had a four-way race. So Nate McMillan ended up squeezing out third just ahead of Quinn Snyder. Um, and then our top two were actually dead even tied. The only tie we had, it was uh, Monty Williams and Tom Thibodeau were tied on the dot. Same Jeez. number of points, same number of first place votes. Um, so I don't know if, if you and I want to do a tiebreaker or if we just want to call it a tie because technically in the awards it is possible to get a tie in the actual ones to be honest i'm gonna i i'm fine with keeping it a tie i think it keeps it pretty respectable between the two of them because they both did have kind of unbelievable impacts for uh, both their respective teams so i think i think i'm fine with keeping it a tie if you are yeah i am i think it's it's well deserved for both of them to be tied so i like that all right now moving on to the most improved player uh this was another one that was kind of dominated by one player so uh not not a huge surprise here we had zion in third place jeremy grant in second and julius randall pulled away in first place grant was not really all that close yeah i mean grant grant was my pick probably through the first half of the season and then i don't want to say he like fell off the face of the earth but like he really did not hang with a lot of the guys who ended up rising on the list especially julius randall i think we got it right i I don't really mind any of those guys being there i think i think the actual ranking of them is fairly accurate but yeah i think that deserves to go to randall regardless yeah the only one i would have had higher personally was Nikola Jokic. i think he had a really good season and i think he improved a lot uh he ended up pretty he ended up in sixth place in ours which disappointed me a little bit christian wood was ahead of him which i i don't agree with yeah <laughs> not, you, know, you know i i was kind of uh campaigning for taking wood off the ballot altogether just simply because i don't think he improved that much i think he was already a very good player he just played more minutes this year but i i understand the the increase in his stats so i get why people wanted to vote for him but that that was where my head was at there yeah i don't i don't argue with your headspace there i think the considering the strides that Jokic made this year, I, I really don't argue that he could have been higher. And with that, is that our last award then? Sixth man of the year is our last one. Mm, yeah, yeah. This was a really close two-way race. The, uh, ja- the Jazz brothers. Yeah. And then pretty much like everyone else was in a race for third where there was no clear runaway for third. 
Montrez Harold just barely squeaked it out, but Thaddeus Young, Derek Rose, and uh, Jalen Brunson were all pretty close to him. But first place was really, really close between Ingles and Clarkson. Clarkson just barely pulled it out, just like he did in the real awards. And personally, I disagree with it. I think Ingles should have had it, but I can't, I can't fault the voters too much. I think this is a really, really close toss up here. I think really you could make an argument for either one of them. And I think it makes it easy that they both snuck. What was the, uh, what under 50% of your games had to come under the bench or sorry, come uh, in the starting lineup, right? Yeah. Clarkson started just one game. So he caught under very easily. Uh, Ingles started about 30% of his games. So not, not a lot, but it was more. Yeah, I think there's definitely an argument for both. And I mean, I think there's a lot of credit that you have to give to like both of them, considering that they were both that tight knit for the same award on the same team. I think it just shows really the strength of that team in their depth. But yeah, I, I do really like that. And I th- I also like Ingles uh, presenting it to him. I know that was probably a bit of salt in the wound for him, but I know that they're, they're brothers at the end of the day. So really they don't, there's no bad blood. It's kind of just seeing each other succeed. So I, I liked it. I think it was a good, it was a good omen. And that's it for the awards. You know what we didn't do though? We didn't talk about, our predictions for the conference finals. So if you want to get into that real quick, I mean, we we, kind of alluded to it in our recaps of the other ones, I think. So, yeah. So (laughs) I guess we'll, we'll give our take. We'll give our, we'll give our biggest, I guess our biggest uh, prediction, so to speak, if we have one, and then maybe like an X factor or something like that. We also haven't done our playoff MVP, so we should probably do that uh, before the conference final. Actually, we'll do it afterwards. doesn't matter. But for me, we'll start in the West. I mean, considering that there's already been one game played, I mean, I that really didn't change my decision. I think I had the Suns from the beginning anyway. I think the injury of Kawhi is going to come back to bite them in the butt. And depending on how quickly Chris Paul comes back, I think that's only going to bolster their team. But Devin Booker is currently having a stride right now. And he's uh, he's having a very impressive postseason. And I don't think he shows any signs of slowing down. So I'm going to say Suns and six. The Clippers definitely have the potential to sway this. But I think it, it would come on the back of, honestly, Terrence Mann continuing to be the man. It would come on the back of playoff P kind of putting his playoff persona behind him and kind of embracing a, a new role of being that kind of player that we've seen in the past. But the Suns just have everything rolling right now. Monty's got him coached up to win. Um, D-Book's playing unreal. The supporting cast have been playing great. The, I think the Valley Boys are going to keep rolling the finals. Um, I, I don't know if you stray from that, but I'm pretty sure that you don't. No, I'm going to take Suns in five. I think this team is just red hot right now. They've they've won eight games in a row. They won their last three games against the Lakers. They won four straight against the Nuggets. They've won their game one so far. I felt very confident about them heading into the series. Game one didn't change my mind in any way. I think Paul George is going to play very well for the Clippers, and he, he's going to get them a game. He's going to keep it close for most of the games, but I just think the Suns team has more depth, better constructed overall roster. Booker's playing the best basketball of his life right now. I think they keep it riding high, and they're going to be in the finals, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I guess we'll skip over to the to the East. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Because I did this last time where I undermined the Hawks and I think it had a lot to do with the 76ers choking, but the set, but the Hawks still kind of pulled it out and they had to play unreal to win it. And Trey Young deserves a lot of credit. This isn't a matchup that favors the Hawks one bit. I think the Bucks are not only a stronger defensive team, but I think they're arguably a better offensive team as well. This one's hard for me because I want to bet the Bucks. I do, but I also want to put some respect on the Hawks and what they've done. I'm going to say Bucks in six. I think this could easily be Bucks and seven. I don't really think that the Hawks end up winning this, to be honest. I just think that the size and I think the lack of a matchup for Giannis, I think is going to honestly come back to bite them. And I think the Bucks, the Bucks defense, I think is just kind of, they're perfectly constructed to take down a team like the Hawks. Yeah, I think Bucks and six and even, even that could be generous, but I just don't want to, I don't want to undermine, I don't want to undermine the Hawks because I know their potential to steal a game, if not two. Well, I'm going to stay sleeping on the Hawks. I'm going to say Bucks and four. I think this is the the ultimate roster for a team to beat Atlanta. You got Drew Holiday yeah. guarding Trey Young. You got Giannis guarding John Collins. You've got Brooke Lopez manning the paint. And this is one of the few teams where the you know Brooke Lopez has kind of been a little bit unplayable against some of these teams because of their smaller lineups they like to go to. But Atlanta plays big as well, so Brooke Lopez will fit fine. Sure, Trey Young's gonna he's gonna do his thing and he, he's gonna. He's going to help them, but I, I just think Milwaukee's got a much better roster, and I really think Philly just choked big time. Philly should have won that series in five. They threw game four and game five, and there was no excuse. They just played bad. 
Uh, and I don't think Milwaukee's going to do that. I think Milwaukee's going to come out strong and they're going to be fired up, ready to finally make that extra push and get to the finals. I think they're going to win in four or five, but I'm I'm going to I'm going to say four because I uh, I just have a lot of faith in this team. Sorry, Hawks. <laughs> I know <laughs> yeah, my I one buddy's say. a Hawks fan. He's not going to be happy about this, but I I really think the Bucks are just perfectly constructed to to take care of this Atlanta team. Yeah, I don't disagree. That's that's the only reason why I don't really see the Hawks taking this series. I think even even as I said, six could be generous. I think five is a bit more realistic, but I think Trey's going to steal a game. Yeah, as you said, I think this Bucks team just matches up extremely well. And even offensively, like there's really going to be no answer for Giannis. I don't know. I think this this series is kind of set out perfectly for the Bucks, And I mean, that sets up a hell of a matchup between the Bucks and Suns projected for uh, NBA Finals. And I guess to kind of to cap off this uh, episode of the podcast, I guess we, we should kind of update our listeners on our choice for our playoff MVP as of right now. So I'll, I'll be a gracious. Well, I guess Terrence gracious. man. <laughs> I was about to say I'll be a gracious co-host, but you cut me off, so I'm going to go first. Um, My playoff MVP as of right now, before getting eliminated, was Nikola Jokic. And I'm actually going to shift mine to the player, well, one of the players who eliminated him, and that would be Devin Booker. Devin Booker has had arguably, I would say arguably the best playoff campaign up to this point, um, considering he's played 11 games. Um, Averaging 29 points, uh, 7.4 rebounds, 5.4 assists, shooting almost 50% from the field, shooting almost 40% from three. Um, 92% from the line in 40 minutes. I mean, guys played unbelievable every game. I think he's had, well, in that one series, I think he had four, or in the last series, he had four games above 40 points. Or sorry, in their first round matchup against Lakers, he had three or four games over 40 points. Um, Yeah, Devin Booker's playing like an animal right now, and I really don't see him kind of being slowed down. So I wouldn't be surprised if his average gets pushed over 30 points after the series, but he's, he's, as you said, probably playing the best basketball of his career. Um, He's, he has made such great strides in such a short amount of time as not only, well, when Chris Paul is out, a primary ball handler, but also uh, just a lethal one-on-one score. He's become quickly one of the best ISO scorers in the league. He's got such a tune game on really every facet of the court. And I mean, he's pro- he's arguably one of the best shot creators in the league already. And you can't really speak highly enough about his scoring, but he's he's the type of guy that can really take over games. And I wouldn't be surprised if he just keeps that going. I think he could, I think he will end up being the playoff MVP if he keeps up uh, his play. Yeah, I think it's pretty much a three-way conversation here between Booker, Giannis, Trey Young. Uh, if Trey Young was better defensively, I'd probably lean towards him. I think defense has to be factored in at least to a certain extent. And I don't want to hate on him too much about the defense, but his defense is really bad. <laughs> it, it is. He's been playing great offensively, so he's probably my number two, honestly. I, I maybe number three. I think I'd have Giannis above him still, but I'm I'm going to agree with you. I think Devin Booker is is playing so well right now that he'd be my number one as well. Yeah, he's um he's had an unbelievable playoff campaign, and especially I think with Chris Paul. I think inevitably being out, what they play, they play tomorrow night, don't they? Well, they play tonight, I believe. Don't they? Oh, wait, wait. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I'm thinking of the uh, the Hawks series. The, I think the Hawks series starts on, uh, on yeah. Or, yeah, Hawks yeah, series starts tonight. tomorrow. Yeah, tonight. yeah, day 30. Um, so I, I haven't heard anything about Chris Paul. I assume he's out again tonight. I think this will be another game where we see Devin Booker light the lamp. I think I think this is going to be a 40-point-plus game. Um, yeah, I just, I've been so baffled by how good he's been playing. And, I mean, it shouldn't come as any surprise considering, as I said, the strides he's made uh, early on in his career. But, He's he's really playing like the man, and he's he's showing it right now. So I I wish only to see this go like keep going. And I think with the trajectory he's on right now, <clears throat> especially against kind of a weekend uh, Clippers team without Kawhi, I think this is this provides every opportunity for him to kind of showcase to the world that Devin Booker is legit, and he is going to solidify himself as a as a playoff, hopefully perennial talent to come. But yeah, he's had such a great campaign and I don't really see it slowing down. So I hope to see him eclipse 30 points, uh, averaging 30 points a game uh, tonight, if not tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, Just for an update on the Chris Paul situation, he's ruled out for game two. Um, There's not really a clear timetable for his return, but the Suns are reportedly hopeful that he'll be cleared uh, at some point early in the series in quotes. So. There's okay. a good chance he'll be back game three or four, probably. I, I was going to say, I guess they're shooting for game three. If not, I guess we'll see a game four, game five. But I guess hopefully, I guess for the Suns, I guess the hope, their hope is that Chris Paul won't have to come back and the series will be done by then. But um, I guess anticipate a Chris Paul return, I guess, conservatively game four then. Yeah, I think 
I think with or without Chris Paul, they, they're probably going to win this series. But a return yeah, of Chris that's... Paul will definitely help. Yeah, uh, I think as as we alluded Bucks to earlier, Suns is my finals pick. Though that's that's going to be a good series if that turns out the way I think it will. Yeah, that'll that will be a really good series. Um, and I guess I guess with that, uh, barring anything else that we have to talk about, I guess that'll pretty much wrap it up. Yep. All right. Well, I'd like to thank my co-host as always, Nolan Russell, for joining me. Um, we we did this a bit later than we wanted to. My work schedule has been a bit busy, um, so I'm just glad we could get this done. Um, and we'll be we'll be tuning you guys in, I guess, once the conference finals are done with our uh, with our updated NBA finals predictions. Um, and aside from that, I know Nolan's got a, a few things on the way, so I'll feed the mic over to him really quick so he can uh, you can fill you guys in. Yeah, so we're gonna have a. Uh quite a few basketball related articles coming up soon. Um, we got a lot of stuff uh, about the NBA draft is going to come up sooner or later. Uh, same with the Olympics, uh, Olympic qualifiers. I'm going to be writing an article previewing each of the four Olympic qualifying tournaments. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Um, aside for that, I don't know, Nate, are you working on anything right now or not really? Um, not really. Just uh, I've been I've been waiting for my work schedule to get a bit more concrete so I can pick the quiz back up. So I think uh, I think come first week of July at the absolute latest, I'll be picking the quiz back up. So hopefully we'll have that launched by the end of July, if not mid-August. Um, I'm really excited to get that that out to everybody. Um, I know I've been talking about it for a long time, but it's been uh, it's been pretty hard to find free time, especially when I'm working like 45, 55, 65 hour weeks. So I'm, uh, I'm trying my best and uh, I'm really excited to get that out to you, especially launch our YouTube in, uh, in coinciding with that project as well. So uh, besides that, I'll probably have a few more um, articles coming up. I was going to do a Western Conference uh, preview, but as uh, as time <laughs> indicated, it was a bit late. Um, but maybe if you're not picking it up, I might do an NBA Finals preview or a recap. I did want to do maybe some uh, like a little trade bait article at some point going into the offseason, kind of talking about some guys, uh, likely movers, uh, maybe some sleepers that we may end up seeing uh, moved. And besides that, really just uh, working diligently on the podcast. And uh, I'm going to be starting up a new project soon, hopefully. Uh, so have an eye out for that as well. And I guess, Barg, anything else that you wanted to say, then I think that would be it. No, I think that covers it all. All right. Well, we thank you guys, as always, for listening, seeking out our very small show. To everyone out there listening, thank you. We appreciate it. Be sure to follow us on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Anchor, wherever you guys listen to us. Uh, be sure to drop a follow on our Instagram as well. We're almost at 500 followers on Instagram, which will end up being a nice little uh, forfeit uh, IG live with uh, either Curtis and I doing the hot ones challenge or both of us. You never know. Yeah. Be sure to get us to that milestone. I'm very much anticipating doing that. Well, anticipating it if I don't have to do it, dreading it if I do. And yeah, that's been it for the 10th episode. Uh, be sure to turn in for tune in for episode 11, which will be our NBA finals preview and our conference final recap. And with that, do not miss your layups.